an absolutely consequential, historic, and unprecedented moment in American history. Donald Trump federally indicted. This is the Balance of Power Roundtable. We are part of the Beyond Politics podcast on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Matt Robeson hosting, as usual, with Paul Hodes, former U.S. congressman and very relevant once again for this show, former prosecutor who used to prosecute white-collar crimes and conservative commentator, analyst, and consultant, Alicia Preston. Paul, we're going to go right to you as usual, as we, I can't believe I'm going to say this, as we have before when Donald Trump is indictment indicted. I feel like we're going to have to get one of those punch cards, frequent indictment credit. What do you get when you get the five holes punched? Another indictment. Yes. You get one minute of watching Donald Trump rot in jail. I want to talk about the limited amount we know. Big caveat up front. We're going to try very hard not to over-speculate here. We're going to learn more as we go. We'll stick to what we can say with some confidence. But what we seem to know is that there are, at this time, seven potential charges that they seem to stem largely from the Espionage Act. And there are also obstruction of justice and false statement charges that are on tap. We are going to learn more about this when the charges are unsealed. And apparently when Donald Trump appears in Miami in a courtroom on Tuesday, Paul, from a prosecutor's standpoint, what do you read into what we know as of now about these charges? What stands out to you? The Espionage Act is an act from 1917. And it has been used to prosecute people who are thought or ha- who have or are thought to want to sell state secrets, basically. So I think it's very consequential in this case that the former president is charged, if that is what the charges turn out to be, Espionage Act charges, it's because the prosecutors believe that his intent was to use some of these classified documents and try to sell them to the highest bidder. And that would be a pretty staggering, that's a pretty staggering charge for a former president of the United States. Would Um, it be possible to charge him under the espionage, even if you could not establish that intent merely for the possession of these documents in in the way that he had them? I suppose it would be possible. But as a prosecutor, I'd want to be able to talk about the motivation behind behind this in terms of the motivation was to help people unfriendly to the United States. And in Trump's case, there is some evidence that has leaked out that that perhaps he was thinking of using these documents for personal financial gain. I think that's the strongest approach the prosecutors could take. It is possible that just simply having these national secrets, it would be enough under the Espionage Act. That's really, that's getting pretty deep into the weeds of what will happen. And we also have some other charges related to documents in terms of basically not turning them over. And then they're they're making the false statements charges and obstructing the investigation. Routinely, Trump's a pathological liar. So he's being charged with a pathologically lying, which is not that unusual for Donald Trump. The proof of that is, is all over. The, look, the re, the, I think let's not mince words. This is historic. It's the first time a former president 
has been charged in a federal prosecution. It's the second shoe to drop after the New York prosecutions. And these are ser it's serious business. He's in, he is in serious trouble with these charges. If I can hit you with one more, and you were just talking about state of mind, mens rea, I'm going to try and put you on the spot with some state of mind of the prosecutors in this case, because you understand the prosecutorial mindset. This morning, Politico opined that it is likely that prosecutors feel that they have a very strong case. They cited the fact that historically, federal prosecutors are very conservative, not politically, but in the sense that they really like to know that they have a strong chance of conviction before they move forward. They apparently managed to win convictions in about 90% of the cases where they bring an indictment. And that tends to be particularly true for these false statement charges where prosecutors, federal prosecutors, usually want to have a transcript or a recording. And so what do you read into the fact that apparently, first of all, we not only have these charges, what does that say about the potential level of confidence and the strength of the case, and also about the factor that it's come to light that there is an audio recording of Donald Trump admitting that he had classified documents, that they remained classified, that he was unable to declassify them, and yet he had them anyway. And on the recording, apparently there's the sound of Trump waving the document around while he's describing what it is that he's holding on to. A really luscious sound for a prosecutor. If I was making a final statement to the jury, I'd stand up with a piece of paper and just start waving it around like that to make the exact sound that the jury will have heard on Donald Trump's tape. Essentially, a recorded confession is what they've got. The other thing I'd add in terms of their, their confidence in the case is they had grand juries impaneled in both Miami and Washington, D.C., Theoretically, Washington, D.C. would be a friendlier place for federal prosecutors to bring charges against Donald Trump, yet they chose Oh, that's Miami. interesting. Why is that? Why, well, why is Washington, D.C.? Because better? Washington is removed from Florida. Trump is from Florida. Theoretically, you might get jurors in Florida who are friendlier to him than they might be in Washington, D.C., yet they brought the case in Miami. So it suggests not only confidence in what they're doing, but it also suggests there may be further charges that could come out of the Washington grand jury, part of this case against Trump. And some of the charges we understand are maybe conspiracy charges. So there may be people in Washington, D.C. who are going to be subject to conspir conspiring with Donald Trump to hold on in illegally and use these documents. And that is an interesting angle here because again, not getting into the realm of speculation, but it has come out not only that I mean, we know that he sent his attorneys out to say, there are no documents. Everything has been handed over, handed back to federal authorities, which was not true. That was just sure. a flat out lie. And now they have pierced the shield of attorney client privilege because it was so obviously untrue. We also know that there is video footage of Mar-a-Lago employees moving boxes around in the days before the intervention, let's say, of federal authorities to come and get 
the classified documents, which again suggests this is a bit of a pattern with Donald Trump of asking people around him, will you crime with me? Alicia, I want to talk about an aspect of this that came up a few weeks ago when we got our first punch on the Donald Trump frequent indictment card. And we were talking about Alvin Bragg and his approach <laughs> to the case. You suggested, and I thought it was a really interesting argument, that on the one hand, we should treat everyone the same under the law. But you actually said, but let's not take that to extremes. We should treat this case differently because it is different. It is unprecedented. And the question has come up in the last, we're recording this, like in the last 14 hours, normal DOJ procedure would be to not release the charges, to not unseal the charges before Trump is arraigned ostensibly on Tuesday. But there's been a suggestion made that by former prosecutors, by legal analysts, in this case, they should release what all these charges are because of the concern that in the intervening time, if they don't set this straight, Trump will do what his MO is and release a lot of misinformation and confuse the public and muddy the waters on this. This is exactly what Bill Barr did with the Mueller report. We've seen him take advantage of these kinds of gaps before. What should the DOJ do in this case? Should they release what the charges are before the arraignment on Tuesday? Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Yes, for all the reasons you just laid out. And I do think that all regular people should be treated equally, but this is a unique situation. This is, there are, you look on social media, there are people poised to burn the friggin' country down right now. You have unprecedented times take require unprecedented measures, and I think they should release everything they can release. I On that note, I also think that when deciding whether to prosecute someone, if it's a former sitting president of the United States of America and the leading Republican nominee for president of the United States, you should have a higher standard just for the good of the country. I believe federal prosecutors would do such. I believe it wouldn't be a, all these conspiracy theorists out there saying, oh, this is a witch hunt. They didn't die them for anything. I think it's the opposite. I think they would make sure before putting forward indictments that they have the evidence. And you guys said that 90% of indictments in federal level are convictions. I hope the standards even higher than they normally use. And I believe it probably is because they know the stakes at hand. And so I do think that should be released for the sake of the country, for the good of the country. We are in different times, different measures. And what amazes me most about all of this is I saw the news break last night. I woke up this morning and watched the news. And I think 10 years ago, if you told me what was happening today was happening, I presume I would be shocked, odd, scared, confused. And instead, I was none of those emotions. I was, here we go, because we've been eased into this place of chaos with Donald Trump. I think you've convinced me. I normally am a justice system absolutist, as I've said on this show before. I first of all believe that the principle is everyone is treated equally under the law. And I also believe that we only try cases in the court of law and not in the court of public opinion. I'm going to say more about that second one in a moment. But I think you've convinced me that there are circumstances where we have to consider context. We have to consider this is unique and we have to treat things differently. Abraham Lincoln suspended habeas corpus during the Civil War because it was a civil war. 
And we have a case here of someone who, let's not mince words, led an insurrection against the government of the United States. There is arguably, as you, I think, just laid out, a clear and present danger here. And a wise Department of Justice would take that into account. So I want to say, I, go ahead, I, please, Paul. Let me just weigh in. Because I think, I think we, there, I'll use a double negative. I don't disagree with you, Alicia, at all. And I think it's both and in the following way. A prosecutorial decision uh, about when to indict, what to indict, who to indict, how to indict, and how to go about things is a prosecutorial decision. And it is, it's usual for prosecutors to take into account all kinds of factors in making their prosecutorial decisions. In this case, a factor of security, the fact that he's a former president, the conditions in the country, all of those things could, in the usual course, be taken into account by the government, the DOJ, in, in, in bringing these indictments. Where Matt's position and everybody's position that no person is above the law has to be applied even-handedly, it's applied without politics, it's applied to everybody in the same way. Once these indictments are filed and the process, the legal process is, up, is ongoing, what happens in the courtroom in the United States is a, sacros is a sacrosanct place or should be, right? In, we hold that to be the place where the judge is not swayed by politics, the jury isn't swayed by politics, and what goes on in the courtroom and the process and the way the defendant is treated is the same for everybody, whether it's Donald Trump or Alicia Preston Zanthopoulos. Everybody gets treated inside the courtroom in the legal process the same way. At least that's the that's our hope. That's the basis. So I think that remains fan. right. I think that remains right. And I think that's the right separating line for us to maintain here. I if you were to introduce, hey, here's the context on Donald Trump in a court of law, how fast, Paul, in microseconds would a judge get that out of there? Yeah. You can't bring in irrelevant information and context. You try a case on its own merits. And I do truly believe you do not try cases in the court of public opinion. And that's for good reason, because when we try cases in the court of public opinion, we get it wrong and we miscarry justice. And there's a horrible history in this country of accusing people wrongly and either finding through the judicial system or through mob justice that you've gotten it wrong and you've done something horrible. I think that's separate from what we're trying to do here, which is, I think we've reached the point where to understand this, we have to apply context. Donald Trump is accusing all of us of a witch hunt. And Alicia, you talked about that term, witch hunt. It is, uh, uh, yeah, I know it's eye rolling because boy, Donald Trump was presiding over a coven of witches. It would not be relevant in a court of law to bring up his long list of crimes. It is relevant in this discussion to bring up his long list of crimes. Let's not forget, and we've covered much of this on the show with experts, with journalists, with investigators, with prosecutors, the fact that he laundered money for the Russian mob. He was credibly accused of racial discrimination in housing in his real estate empire. 
He very clearly committed tax fraud, defrauded the federal government of tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars over the year. He defrauded a veterans charity. He defrauded veterans. He stole from students with his fraudulent Trump University, shut down by the judicial system. He stole from contractors, from small businesses. He sexually assaulted women. That's something he's now been found liable for. He abused office to go after Joe Biden, to go after his political enemies. And then he obstructed justice about it. And that's not even half the list. And when we consider something like this, the fact that he's been indicted and the fact that we're all piling on about this, and then there's this minority of this country that is rushing to defend him, that context is relevant. The fact is that Donald Trump is one of the most disgusting criminal figures in American history. And he has skated along by flooding the zone on us, by overwhelming us with so much criminality, so much lying that we can't keep track of it all. So I hope people will bear in mind that long list. Is any of that relevant for the case that he's about to face here in Miami and maybe in Washington over taking these documents? No, it's not relevant, but it's relevant to our understanding of what's going on here. And that all circles me back to Alicia's point. Yes, we need to treat Donald Trump differently. We do, because he is a unique figure and he's a unique danger to America. One thing that keeps me up at night is a question that I do not have an answer to, and that is, how did we get here? How did we get to this point with Donald Trump, with millions of Americans? And you said they're a minority, and they absolutely are a minority. They're a minority of the Republican Party, but they are loud, and there's a lot of them. There's millions of them. How did we get to the point where people are bringing golden statues of a man to a conservative convention to mimic the worship and the worship of the statue in the Bible. How did we get to a point where people with 2 million followers are sharing AI altered pictures of him in a military uniform, which I find abhorrent as the wife of a veteran and the daughter of a veteran. I find it abhorrent that they're mimicking him as though he served in the military because he's quote unquote fighting for America. That's stolen valor. How did we get to this point in this country where so many people have bought in? I don't know the answer, but it does keep me up at night. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. I'm not sure about the answer to that question, but I do know that the antidote is the prosecution of Donald Trump for the crimes that he's currently be, has been indicted for in New York and now federally in Miami that are still going to come out of Georgia and perhaps again out of Washington when we get now that Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, has secured these indictments on the Mar-a-Lago documents, I am waiting for to see what happens about January 6th, which is really the ultimate, the ultimate prosecution for Trump. And it may be harder to prove. We'll see whether or not those happen. But the fact that he has been indicted is one of the answers to your question. Because underlying the question is, this is not who we are. What we're seeing is not the America that we grew up with, that we learned about, that we have, as challenging as this country is, we are not people who celebrate crooks, thugs, criminals, bullies, and rapists as our leaders. That's not who we want to be. And these indictments, I think, 
may be the beginning of the reckoning for this country. It may further divide us for a while, but ultimately it's the bedrock of who we are. Although to be depressing for just a moment, there was within our lifetimes, because we're all not spring chickens, Alicia is. Paul is. I'm not. I'll be turning 29 again for the 21st time next year. Mazel tov. Thank you. Within our lifetimes, there has been a violent free whales movement. And they're essentially pursuing a cause that began with the Angles and the Saxons overwhelming the Welsh more than a thousand years ago. When Slobodan Milosevic fomented the beginning of what became the wars in the Balkans in the 90s, he did it with an impassioned speech recalling a violent incident that had happened more than 600 years before. I'm not trying to be depressing about this. I'm just saying that when I watch these fucking morons on Fox News. You watch bat, Fox News? Well, I'm I have Republican to. and I I'm don't professionally watch professionally obligated. <laughs> we're going to have a video coming out about this. People check out the Blue Amp channel. We have a video coming out where we're going to capture. We're just going to enjoy their meltdown. We, we did a video about this last time called MAGA Tears. And we're going to do MAGA Tears too. the revenge. It's going to be sweet. When I watch these people on Fox News, it just has echoes for me of these kinds of, this is how historic movements start. People get in their collective memory that they have been wronged in some deep way. And part of the reason that I wanted to belabor that list of contact of Donald Trump's crimes is just to reinforce once again, Donald Trump is not a sympathetic figure. He has not been wrong. Paul is correct. He should be prosecuted. That is part of the cure here. But my down note about this is I think there are going to continue to be a substantial number of people, a minority, but a substantial faction in our country that is going to carry a torch for this idiot for the rest of their lives. And we may see this reverberate for decades. But the media has got to do better. Let me give you an example. NBC did a poll which was shared by Crystal as a very well-known, I actually respect him greatly, political reporter with CNN for a million years. And it was to deliberately say, look, Republicans suck. They're cultists. 68% of the people, Republicans, believe that this, this is a persecution, not a prosecution, right? Except if you looked at the poll, which I did, but most people won't because the three of us have read polls and cross tabs and all that stuff. Most people haven't. It was 292 people. I couldn't do a proper poll for dog catcher in my hometown, polling 292 people. Or Hoggreave. Hoggreave with 292 people. But that was the fine print right at the bottom. They're just swinging around. Look, 68% of Republicans... The media's got to do better. This is, we are in the middle of a constitutional crisis. Let's but be can honest. Can I push you? Can I push yes, you on that? please do. Because we've already seen a little bit of a fault line emerge here with Ron DeSantis coming out swinging in support of Donald Trump. Oh, Ron DeSantis' tweet was not only shameful, but who is advising this guy? Let me tell you something, Governor Ron. If there I, if I, <laughs> problem. If I wanted to support Donald Trump, I'd vote for Donald Trump, not you. Campaigns are math. Every time I'm on a radio show or program or with you guys, I say this and I know I drive people crazy because I'm so repetitive. Campaigns are math. You've got to find where you're going to get your numbers from. Ron DeSantis, here's some free advice. And I charge a lot per hour. So accept this. If you are supporting Donald Trump in your effort to run against him for president, you're not getting any votes. They're already voting for Donald Trump if they support that message. Agreed and fair enough. 
But it is interesting. Vivek Ramaswamy came out and you know how these dynamics work in presidential campaigns. And he said, I will pardon Donald Trump if elected president. Mm -hmm. And that is going to be a litmus test for Republicans. Now, look, Asa Hutchinson, who gives a toss what he thinks because he ain't going to be president. He said, Vivek, but I'd take him over Vivek Ramaswamy, who, by enough. the way, wants to raise the voting age to 25. And I think I said this in the show. I can't remember if he really wants to raise the age seven years for what you're allowed to do in the Constitution, then he's not qualified or eligible to run for president. Just want to point right. that out. Hey, guys, let me just say I've got to get off. And, and we've I think we've covered Donald Trump pretty well today. I like Matt's assessment, fucking moron. With that, I think the same could be applied to the entire Republican field. And I'll leave you to deal with but that. You know what? I know Alicia's got to go to. We all have, this all literally came like a thunderbolt overnight. And this is, after all, an emergency podcast. So one moment of personal privilege since it is an emergency podcast. Congratulations to the beautiful, brilliant Katerina Xanthopoulos, who is graduating high school today. Absolutely. Congratulations. And congratulations to you, Alicia, for her achievements, valedictorian of her class and deserved. And on that much happier note, I will wrap it up here for Paul and Alicia and Matt Robinson. We will see you next time.